This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 137 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we continue our look at the fourth branch of the Mabinogi, the stories of Welsh mythology, as we tell the tale of the curse of Aronrod. But first, a very big warm and hearty welcome to you all. If this is your first episode of Fireside, why don't you head back to the story about Pulk, Prince of David, to see the story, the beginning of the first branch of the Mabinogi and see what we've been building in these Welsh tales and if you enjoy what you're hearing why not head right back to episode 1 136 episodes and nearly 3 years ago and see the journey of Fireside and if you are a returning listener as always thank you so much for your continued support if you have not done so already please follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard it's the best place to message me get in touch see what I'm up to uh, Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you're not on social media. And if you really want to support the podcast and join the intimate community of Fireside supporters, you can do so over at Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as €5 Euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to not just bonus material for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And there's going to be a brand new piece of bonus material on my interview with Mark Williams, the author of Ireland's Immortals, as a brand new members-only exclusive piece to join more recent episodes, bonus episodes on the poetry of W.B. Yeats. And there was also a piece on St. Patrick and the history and culture of St. Patrick of Ireland. So slowly but surely, we're building up a nice little collection and incentive for all of you very kind benefactors over on Headstuff Plus. No new listeners or no new supporters for this week. So another big thank you for Timothy Stevens for joining the community of Headstuff Plus. We do actually have a couple of new patrons, though, over on the Patreon because the Patreon account is still open because uh, Headstuff has Plus has only been really plugged since about the 100th episode. That was when it started. So up to then, it was entirely the Patreon that I was counting on for support for the podcast. And so I want to give a very big welcome to Benjamin Becker joining Zoe and Claire Slattery as the latest Patreon patrons. I'm sure they're listening far back now and they're catching up, but they will get to their thanks in due course. I hope that they last this long. So the story for this week, folks, is the second part 
of the fourth branch of the Mabinagi. I had hoped to condense this tale into two episodes. It will now be three because three very distinct tales have formed. And it was a particularly dark and gruesome tale last week that uh, certainly rattled me to adapt and read and I hope you found it engaging and interesting. I won't use the word enjoy again because there was some very, very harsh elements to that story. Thankfully, this story continues in that vein, or, to, or rather, it doesn't continue in that vein. It continues with some, with those characters, but in a very different journey. And what is interesting is always in mythology and in tales like this, where you have to keep what has happened on board when the swiftness of fairy tales and the swiftness of myths usually means that some things are never mentioned again you know characters have to live with these things that they have done and that has happened to them and it is no exception uh, for us as listeners engaging with these characters and i will explain all more afterwards but this is the curse of a Ronrod on Fireside. The curse of a Ronrod. Math, son of Mathonoi, was at his court at Gwyneth. He was known, as he always had been, for his peculiar quirk of resting his feet in the lap of a virgin. Having married Goywen, Math asked his nephew Gwydion where he may find a suitable new footmaiden. Lord, said Gwydion, you will find no finer maiden in the island of the mighty than my sister and your niece Aronrod. So Aronrod was sent for, and Math asked her to prove that she was in fact a virgin. My lord, said the shaken girl, I am still a maiden. How can I prove that to you with more than my own word? So Math lay down his magic wand on the floor, and he asked Aronrod to walk over it. When the young woman did, miraculously, a full-bodied blonde baby boy fell from her and onto the ground. Aronrod was horrified and mortified and fled from the court of Gwyneth. But as she ran through the door, something else fell from her. Before anyone else could get a second glance at it, Gwydion picked the flesh lump off the floor and safely stowed it in a chest at the foot of his bed. As for the first child that had been birthed by Aranrod, Math decided to raise the boy as his own. He was named Dullan, but on the day he was christened, the boy fell into the waves and instantly swam as well as any fish in the sea. Because of this, he became known as Dalan Ailton, Dylan Second Wave. Some time later, Gwydion awoke to a cry at the foot of his bed. He went to the chest and found there was another baby there crying in the swaddling. Gwydion quickly brought the infant into the village and found a wet nurse to feed him. And Gwydion took responsibility for the child's well-being. 
At a year old, the boy could have been two. At two, he could have been four. Gwydion loved his nephew, and the boy came to love Gwydion as a father. So when the boy was four, and looked a sturdy, healthy, blonde boy of eight, Gwydion took him to see his mother at Caer Aranrod. The mother was furious with her brother for having subjected her to the humiliation at the hands of Math. You are not welcome here, Gwydion. And who is this child you bring with you? Lady, this is your son. Why? Why must you bring further hardship on me by bringing this boy with you? It is less hardship you know than I. You have not been the one who has raised him. What is his name? He has never been given a name. That is why I brought him to you now. It should be the parent's responsibility to name their child. Well, I will put a curse on this boy, that he will never have a name until I give it to him. You are a wicked woman, sister. Nothing that has happened to you is the fault of this boy. And you only hate him because no one will ever call you virgin again. But mark my words, you will name this boy. So Gwydion took the still unnamed child to the seashore, and using seaweed, blotsam and debris, he enchanted a ship and a sail and fine cordovan leather. Then, like Prederi and Madawodan had done in the third branch of the Mabinogi, Gwydion and the boy became shoemakers. They quickly earned such a name for themselves that word reached Aronrod of their skill. The lady requested leather shoes for herself. Gwydion intentionally sent shoes back that were too large. Aronrod admired the quality of the leather and the craftsmanship of the shoes. She agreed to pay the makers for their efforts and sent word for shoes of a smaller size. Gwydion this time crafted shoes that were too small. Aronrod was forced to come down to the marina in person so that her foot could be measured. When she did, Gwydion transformed the boy and himself into forms unfamiliar to his sister. While Gwydion measured Aronrod's foot, a wren landed on the bow of their ship. Barely aiming, and with hardly any active effort, the boy took a bow and arrow and shot the trickster bird between the tendon and the bone of his leg. Due to this display, Aronrod rewarded the lad and called him Clay Claw Guffus, the fair one with the skilled hand. Once the boy had been named, Gwydion turned Clay and himself back into their own forms, and the ship sails and leather back into seaweed, flotsam and debris. Aronrod spoke with fire. You will regret this further treachery against me. The boy may now have a name, but he will not live long, for I will put a curse on him that he will never bear arms until I give them to him. Gwydion said, It was harsh of you to refuse your son a name and truly evil to refuse him the chance to defend himself. 
but I promise you, sister, I will train him and he will be armed, with or without your consent. So Gwydion and Clay Clogithus went to the woods, where Gwydion trained the lad on horseback and in hand-to-hand combat. He taught him how to build and tend fire, and to forage. He taught Clay everything he could that did not require him to have a weapon in his hands. And the boy became a young man, with incredible aptitude at everything he tried. He soon surpassed his uncle in every skill taught to him, all except for one. Gwydion remained the greatest storyteller in the world. And that's where Gwydion developed his next plan. Uncle and nephew returned to Eranrod's court in the form of travelling bards. They were warmly welcomed as little choice was ever really given but for nobles to host poets and storytellers, and Gwydion spent the evening entertaining Aronrod with stories and verses and songs. They feasted and drank until the sky grew bright. But Gwydion did not sleep, but summoned his magic to him. The entire court woke up with heavy heads to the sound of uproar and trumpets, and a messenger came to Aronrod and said, My lady, they are invading ships approaching the shore, and by the display of their sails and shields, it is without doubt, they are sailing for war. Aronrod was confused by this unidentified invasion. She thought it surely Irish pirates. So she went to the wise bard who had enthralled her the night before. Lady, said Gwydion, You must arm every able-bodied man and woman. We will defend Caeranrod to the last. You have hosted we two travelling bards. Arm us too, and we will defend you to our deaths. And swords and shields and armour were forged and crafted for Gwydion and Clay Clogithus. The moment the final strap had been fastened, and Clay's left and right hand held sword and shield for the very first time, Gwydion smiled. You are armed, so there is no need for further illusion. What do you mean? asked Aronrot. I mean, lady, that there is no cause for alarm. There are no invaders at the gate. Ask your guards, they will see that the ships they saw were merely enchantment. Then Gwydion transformed Clay and himself back into their own forms. Deceive us. You have humiliated me again. But for the last time. You have robbed a name and arms for this boy that should never have been born. So I will rob him of joy and happiness. I will put a curse upon him. That Clay Claw Giffus will never have the love of a living creature of the race of this land. Gwydion took Clay Clorgiffus back to Gwyneth, to Math, son of Mathonoi. The king's anger at Gwydion had subsided, and Clay had grown into a fine young man, blameless for anyone else's crimes. So Math said, We will make Clay Clorgiffus a wife made of flowers. So Gwydion and Math 
combined their powers and took the flowers of the oak and the flowers of the broom and the flowers of the plant of meadowsweet and from these they conjured up the form of a young woman more beautiful than any born because of course she had not been born of a race of the earth and the girl was named Bloodwet, and she was married to Clay Claw Giffus. But Gwydion asked Math for one more favour for his nephew. Lord, he said, it is hard for a man without a realm to support himself. And Math said, I will give him the best cantref that a young man can have. And that was the cantref of Dinadin known today as Ardudi. That is where Clay and Bloodwed set up and ruled. It seemed Aranrod's final curse had been avoided, but it would not be a happy marriage for Clay Clawgiffus and his wife of flowers. To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. Fad Camp is a comedy podcast about the ridiculousness of fad diets and diet culture, hosted by me, Grace Mulvey. And me, Connor Dowling. If you have a body of any kind, chances are you've crossed paths with at least one of the bizarre diet trends we cover in our show. And between me and Connor, we have done nearly every fad diet there is. Juice cleansing. Fasting. The potato diet. Which is actually a real diet, by the way, and we don't recommend it. So join us as we try to make sense of the madness that is diet culture. Find Fad Camp everywhere you get your podcasts and make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fad Camp Podcast. And that is the story of the curse of Ronrod on Fireside. Certainly less intensely dark and twisted than the last story, but still not entirely so. We got off to a very horrendous start here. And to be honest, it gets even worse when I add subtext to this. And... Subtext is a tricky thing in mythology because they are genuine, generally better off free of it. But naturally, these stories have arrived, have survived for hundreds and in some cases thousands of years. These Welsh tales being written down for the first time in the 12th, 13th century, but probably much older than that from older tradition, especially when you take into account that a lot of them were influenced by other tales, including from Irish and other Celtic mythologies. But there is one aspect of this story I discovered that many scholars supposedly have put on it, and it's hard to deny, and it gives it a context and really explains Aronrod's anger and really gives a logic to how this all came about. So to start right from the beginning, we pick up right where we have left off, last week which is that Math son of Mathonoi is a Welsh king who has this quirk this trait this kink where he likes to quite innocuously 
rest his feet in the lap of a virgin. He likes to use a virgin as his foot maiden. You could say that it uh, it does seem quite a sinister thing and quite rightly becomes so when one of his nephews falls in love with his fo- foot maiden, Goywen, and his brother, who is Gwydion in this tale, he orchestrates an entire war where the death of Pryderi occurs so that his brother Gilfadoy can take advantage of and rape Goywen, this poor foot maiden. Now, when Math finds out, when Goywen sobbing tells him what has happened to her, Math takes out this horrendous retribution on his two nephews by turning them into three different forms of animals for three years and not and making them come back once they have given birth to a child by the other brother. They each spend a year in the form of both male and females, of pigs, deers, and wolves, and each have children by the other, which Math then raises himself. And he also, to attempt to make some amends, makes Goywen his wife. And that is where we left off before with the quite unsatisfying finale, as I said, of Gwydion and Gilfadi being forgiven and taken back into the fold of Math, son of Mathonoi. And that's what left the the bitter taste at the end of last week's tale. And here we pick up right from where we left off with Math married to Goywin and Gwydion back at the court. Because it's Gwydion who's the wise one and the cunning one, so Gilfadi doesn't appear again. Uh, Hopefully he suffers a horrendous end that I will find somehow. But we have Gwydion here and Gwydion is back as an advisor to Math. And Math, even though he has a beautiful new wife who was his foot maiden, he still wants a new foot maiden to rest his feet upon. And I suppose it would could be said this is certainly more innocuous because the one who comes to him is his niece. So naturally there probably wouldn't be any uh, tomfoolery there. So it does seem like it is a more just genu- general thing. Except and this is where the bombshell is. So Aronrod comes and she's asked to prove that she is a virgin, which is, a, again, a horrendous place to start a story in. And she doesn't know, of course, how she can. As far as she knows she's a virgin, she would know. And he won't take her word for it. So he puts down his magic ro- wand and he has to step over it. She has to step over it. And instantly she gives birth to a, like a full child, having gone from seemingly not pregnant at all to giving birth to a an entire, like a sturdy, blonde-haired boy. To which case, of course, she's shocked and humiliated and mortified and she flees from the church, or from, flees from the court. On a which case out, there's a, a bizarre detail where it says something else falls from her. It doesn't say quite what it is, but in some versions of the story, it says a flesh lump falls. And before anyone can get a look at it, it doesn't say she gives birth to another child. It just says a flesh lump falls from her. And in some cases, just something falls from her, which Gwydion quickly sweeps up and stows in his box out of sight, out of mind at the bottom of his bed. We meet Dullan, uh, or Dylan, as we would call the name, uh, which, I, which I wish there was a full story about him. He gets this little few lines about how when he's christened, he falls into the sea and he swims better than any fish and he becomes kind of this almost Manon and Machlir, not quite a god of the sea, but this hero of the wave. And we just find out 
that he lived there and was eventually killed by an uncle of his who we haven't heard of before or since. And that's just this little like whisper of another tale. But I hope I can find more on Dylan because it's it's one of my favourite names uh, due entirely to Bob Dylan, who then came from Dylan Thomas, who is named after this same Dylan. I know for the, I know for sure. And so that's what we hear of this first child. But the other child, this brother, this uh, child that is born as a flesh lump that falls out and Gwydion raises or Gwydion finds in the chest at the end of his bed crying sometime later. This is where the bombshell is. I know I've just given a lot of build up and context. Modern scholars think, and it might have been obvious to you, might be obvious to someone out there, because, again, very hard to prove, but very hard to deny as well. Theory is that Gwydion raped Aronroth and that they are Gwydion's incestuous babies, that these two sons are the, the product of this incest and that this is, why, this is how Aronroth didn't know that she wasn't a virgin anymore, and that is how she just so suddenly gave birth to two babies, is because something had happened to her that either was totally without her knowing, or was she was so young that she didn't know what was happening, and if it was her brother, she certainly wouldn't think that it was something like that. And this then explains why Aronrod's vengeance and her anger and her fury is so intense for the rest of the story and why despite the fact that nothing that has been done to her either by Gwydion or the humiliation at the hands of Math for having made her force prove to him that she was a virgin is that she takes out on her innocent son on on Clayclaw Guffus which was a name that was hard to get uh, my tongue around I can tell you as a non-Welsh speaker so Gwydion raises the child. I know you're, if that if that came as a, a shock for you, again these these two stories have had needed trigger warnings before them more than any other story in the history of Fireside. Oh, those Welsh tales! So Gwydion raises the boy as his own because he, by all accounts, may very well be his own. And eventually, when the boy is eight or four and is the size of eight, quite like uh, Prideri grew. That seems to be another thing that uh, these great Welsh heroes, when they're one, they look two, when they're two, they look four, and when they're four, they look eight. So at the age of four, this still unnamed child, so he's growing up being known as boy, presumably, he gets brought to Aranrod, to his mother, and she refuses to recognize him and places these series of curses upon him. We've got Gassa here. For those who don't remember, Gassa are Irish curses that appear throughout Irish mythology, probably most famously on Cúcollán. Cúcollán has a number of gyasa placed upon him, including that he may never partake in the flesh of a hound. And that is one of the things that brings him down in the end when he is tricked by the Mardigan and forced to eat of the flesh of a dog. But in Welsh, they are known as a tinged, I couldn't find it actually mentioned in the audio version that I listened to and it wasn't written down in the in the the visual version the the literary version that I read um both the Oxford University Classics and the the Mark Addis or the Matt Addis audio version that I've been listening to the Mabinogion 
but Tinged, I think, is might be how you pronounce it. I have no idea. That's what I'm going for. But it is a Tingedit, which means like doom, fate, or destiny. Plural Tingedau uh, is the is, is the Welsh equivalent of the Irish gas, similar to being a vow, a curse, or a spell. And it is most famously used by Aronrod here in in this portion of the Mabinogion. And in fact, like the original name for this section of the story is the Ting Tingedau of Aronrod, which is the Gasa of Aronrod. So of course, the curse of Aronrod seemed like a good name as a as a gateway in. So because I'm throwing a lot of Welsh names at people who, for the most part, won't speak it and might not even have had any experience with encountering the names it's certainly been a big learning curve for myself but so that's the origin of of this name for it and there's another very strong connection with irish mythology in this particular story as well in that clay claw giffus as he has finally given the name is considered to be a interpretation of lu of the irish god lu lavada uh, Lou of the long hand, the sun god, because clay is considered in some versions to be a kind of sun god, as he is this radiant hero who's good at everything. Even clay, which you might not be able to tell, probably tell from how I'm pronouncing it, and I hope I'm pronouncing at least that okay, is spelled L L E U. So even in spelling, it's spelled very like the L U G H of Lou Lavada. So I thought that was a very very interesting connection um, between that and these curses. And other than that, the story takes a very traditional folktale format where we have these three trials, these tr- three tricks. We have shoemaking and cordovan leather appearing again after the third branch. So that, that is naturally a, 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 a now a recurring theme between... I must find out, actually. So cordovan leather is from Spain, from the Cordoba, a sit, the city of Cordoba, which is... So it's interesting that that is what keeps cropping up very specifically in the Welsh mythology, always conjured up as well. So naturally it must have existed there and was already a standard for high-end shoemaking, just worthy as a note. And then we come to the end of the tale where we have these three trials by Gwydion and he uses his craft. This is mentioned a few times that Gwydion is this great storyteller, but also this great enchanter and uh, trickster as well. And at the end, he gets the arms for Gudion, he gets an, or he gets the arms for Clay, he gets a name for Clay, Clay Clogifus, and even appearance by Wren as well, the king of all birds. Another little nod to the Irish, to me, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. And then at the very end, we get this final curse of Aronroth, which is that he will never have love, that Clay will never have love with any creature born of this earth. Interesting that he just says no human, that she doesn't say just a human being or any person, you know, that it's any creature at all born of Earth. So even if he wanted to engage in bestiality, which I suppose his father, if you want to call Gwydion's father, did engage with when he had to live in the form of three different animals for three different years and have three different children by his brother or sister, depending on which form they engendered, they were put in at that point. Oh, these Welsh tales. And... Then Gwydion goes home to Math, son of Mathonoi, who again he has still he's been forgiven by, but it's still a lot to be asking for any favors for this guy you've wronged so much and 
and defiled his wife. And he asks Gwydion, he asks Math to give Clegor Guffus a wife, and they decide that they will conjure one out of flowers. And we have this incredible image, which I have kind of just given verbatim for how, from how it is in the Mabinogion, of taking the the flowers of meadowsweet and oak and putting them together and creating this beautiful woman more beautiful than any woman born. And I usually hate this, like they were the most beautiful woman who had ever lived. They were, she was the most beautiful girl of all time. He was the finest lad there had ever been. It does happen with the lads as well, and I don't like it with them as well, but it's it said so much about the female characters that it, apart from the objectivity and the systemic problem of it. It's just very boring writing, very boring storytelling to a point, so I try to mix that up. But I kind of had no problem with it here because you get this image of, like, actual conjuring and this is actual Pygmalion and Galatea, you know? This is the actual story of creating something more beautiful than anything that could exist and especially just being born out of the fleeting beauty of flowers, these things that we love so much because they exist for such a short period of time. We cut them, we give them as these gifts, and then they die. And there's something quite foreboding and ominous and foreshadowing about uh, Bloodwed being created from flowers, as we will find out in the next part and the final part of the fourth branch of the Mabinagi so I will wrap things up there, but thank you so much for joining us uh, today. I hope you were able to enjoy this story a little bit more. Please do let me know any thoughts and feedbacks, how you're continuing to enjoy or not enjoy these tales. Uh, there's a lot that there's a lot to unpack with these, and uh, I can only just give my thoughts on adapting and after reading them and what my impulses are. But it's there. It's still very, very engaging and very unlike anything we've encountered before. And that's why I try not to shy away from this stuff. But please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bar. That's the best place to message me or email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Uh, please do follow support the podcast over at Headstuff Plus and join Headstuff Plus for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want. Uh, next week, we will have the final part of the fourth branch of the Mabinogging, where we'll have the story of the marriage, the ill-fated marriage between Clay, Claw, Giffus, and Bloodwed, his wife of flowers. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.